Welcome to the New Books Network. Okay, we are live. And this is Mel Rosenberg, the host of the Children's Literature Channel on the New Books Network. And I have a wonderful, wonderful guest today, Beth Ferry. Hi, Beth. Hello. And this is a very exciting day for you because tomorrow... Yes, tomorrow I have a new book publishing called No Nibbling. And yes, it publishes tomorrow. So I probably will drive to Barnes and Noble to hopefully see it on the shelf. <laughs> and what, what do you what do you do when that happens? This is not your first book. You've published like several dozen books. Yes. Are you, um, are you still excited? That's the one thing I have to say. It truly is always exciting. I think it's most exciting when you get your author copies because, you know, all of a sudden there's a package on your front door that you, you didn't order from Amazon and you're like, oh, yay, what is it? And when you see this stack of your book, it, it really, it just, it kind of reinforces that it still is a dream come true. Um, there's just something about seeing, you know, your name and a pile of your books that's kind of better than any holiday or gift you could ever get. <laughs> So, so I have um, I've published books, but not traditionally um, yet. Uh, but <laughs> tell me, what do you do in Barnes and Noble? I, you know, it's I, I just take a picture, not even with me in it. I never take a picture with me in it, but I just take a picture of it on the shelf. Um, and if it's not face out, which mainly it's never is, I put it face out and I take a picture. And yeah, I send it to my kids and I'm like, oh, look, it just feels like a success when you see your book on the shelf in Barnes and Noble. Are, are you a shy person because you, you're from an Italian family? You <laughs> yeah. should you should have the chutzpah of the Jews. I should, but I don't. <laughs> I, I, I we have some training to do. So okay. the next time you're in Barnes and Noble, like tomorrow, right. you go you go over to people and say, <laughs> no. "Yes, would you like to see my new book?" Yes. Okay. But I will, I will never, I will sign it for you. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I don't think I've ever done that in my whole life. I don't think I ever will, but it is there. And I have to say like, there is something magical about signing your book. So, so Beth, we're, we're going to have to have another session okay. <laughs> where I will teach you <clears throat> because when uh, I invented something many years ago and I went to London to see it in a, um, in a oh. pharmacy. Oh, wow. And um <laughs> One of the salespeople walked by and I said, she said, can I help you? I say, I just want you to know that I invented this. Next What'd thing you say? She didn't say anything, but she brought a policeman to escort me out of the store. Oh, stop. Oh, my gosh. See, the very first time that I went into a Barnes and Noble and I thought and I did, I asked if I could sign my books back I think stick and stone. And I brought my license with me because I thought they're not going to believe me. Like they're going to ask to see my license so that I can prove that I really wrote the book. Of course they did not. So, but some places don't even let you do that. Like you'll go into a Barnes and Noble and they'll be like, no, <laughs> that's really sad. So, so Beth, we're celebrating your, your new book. No, yes. nibbling. no nibbling. Let's, let's nibble a bit. Okay. You, you don't happen to have a copy around, do you? I do. I have a copy. So. Of, co of course you do. Of course I do. So um, show everybody. Talk about okay. the artist and the... So how the you... artist, yes. Okay. So this book, this book actually has a really good story, I think, for writers, because I wrote the book seven years ago. And it took that long for it to be published. So it's one of my, you know, like when I talk to kids, I always say, you know, I write probably 
you know, if I write a hundred stories, 20 get published. And it's a really good lesson for kids. It's a good lesson for adults too. And for me too, because you, you know, that every book that you write is not going to be published, no matter how much you hone it and perfect it. You know, it, that doesn't mean that there's a market for it. It doesn't mean that you're going to find an editor for it. So for this book, um, I, you know, seven years ago, like what year is that? Like 2000 and 1863. Yeah, a long time ago. I can't even do the math Mm because what year are we in? Anyway, it was a long time ago. And I... I kept doing it and it kept, you know, my agent liked it, which is nice. I mean, if your agent likes it, that's a really good sign. But I, you know, we would send it out. It would get rejected. I had editors work with me on it to try to get the ending right. It just wasn't happening. So, you know, you put it away and then you're sad because, you know, you've spent a lot of time on it. Um, and then I would always come back to it and I'd be like, God, I really like the story. And I would try again and again. And so finally, um, I had an editor who helped me like kind of get the ending right, who kind of directed me. Oh, I love that. I love that. One second, Beth, this is terrific. One second. So first of all, kudos to your agent who is? Elena Giovinazzo from Pickett Properties. I know it's a long, good Italian last name. (laughs) But it's it's always good to shout out to your agent. Yes, she's amazing. Okay. And now a shout out to the editor. Yes, Jen Besser is her name. And she you know, she just kind of directed me to where, you know, the book is about a little bunny who wants to nibble the goat's garden. And it's full of vegetable puns, which, uh, you know, my, the reason that I am a writer is because I love words and wordplay. So, you know, I love emotion and I love, but what really, you know, gets me writing is when I think about words and how you can play with them. And so, you know, a pun is so much fun. And, you know, you are walking that line between what age are you writing for? You know, because puns, you have to understand language and you're not, you know, picture books are for the youngest, you know, where parents are reading to children. So you're kind of like, you know, but you're not writing for the parents, you're writing for the children. And so, yeah, there's that fine line between like, what age is this really for? And will they understand a pun? And so, you know, it's, I, I feel like that was kind of like a battle for me, but I loved them so much. Like I didn't even want to like get rid of any of the puns. Um, but I was having the bunny get her way by basically exhausting the gardener. You know, she just bugged him so much that he finally gave in. And which is truly such a parental experience, right? I mean, how many times have you given in to your kids because you're just exhausted? You're like, okay, fine, let's go to the park even though I should be working because they've bugged you so much. So, um, but ultimately that's, I think was the problem maybe that, you know, that's not the message that we should be, you know, and I don't really write messages. I, I don't think I do. Um, but she, ultimately, the bunny earns the nibble. She winds up weeding the garden, and that yes. allows her to earn her feast at the end. She she, she turns from a nudnik bunny into a helpful yeah. bunny. Exactly. And I think, and then once I was able to, you know, successfully do that, I think then it all worked out. So, and yeah, and, and especially because the dessert for a bunny is all these things that are... <laughs> Right. Good for kids, right? Exactly. Like eat some vegetables. <laughs> yeah. So so let us peer inside the book. Sure. Okay. That's so, one of your puns, I know. You yeah. also have you also have high polluting language in there. I do. Nimb- nimbus clouds. I do. I, I know. Deterioration. So, and I don't know. I know you know what? And it's because 
it is, it's this really, for me, it's like a battle always to like, keep it as simple as possible. As much as again, picture books are read to you. You're not, you know, you will eventually read them to yourself, but that's the idea. But um, so the art is done by Anna Kang, who happens to be a very good friend of mine, which is oh. such a joy um, because originally it was, a, I had written the book um, with a deer. The deer was the gardener and the bunny was the bunny. And she said, oh, deers are so hard to draw. She's like, you know, it's hard to make them, you know, anthropomorphized because I don't know why exactly, but she said, oh, can we just make it a goat? <laughs> I was like, sure, let's make it a goat. You know, so, yeah, there's some, there's, well, let's, let's talk about this for a moment. Yeah. There aren't that many children's books about deers and or I think deer. There really aren't. And I think maybe because they are, it's hard to have them be that, upright. That, that's because, yes, that's because <laughs> the illustrators buck at the right. possibility. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Sorry. No, it's sorry, good. Sorry All puns that. are good puns. All um, puns are kosher today. Yeah, they are. So yeah, so she, you know, and I was like, okay. And I am, you know, I truly, another one of my, um, you know, faults is that, I truly can't resist any alliteration. So it was Derwood Deer and his name is Derwood and I just Derwood Deer. And the thing is also because I worked on this for seven years, you know, I was kind of like married to Derwood Deer. You know, it just became integral to the story for me. So when she said a goat, I was like, Derwood Goat? Mm. And then I was like, and I don't want to change his name because I loved his name. So is, these are the silly, silly things that you can like obsess about. Um, but I just took out the word deer and just kept him Derwood and nobody cares but me that he's a goat and not a deer. Um, but the art, I, I am a big fan. And Anna just has, uh, I just, I, I love her characters. I love her faces. I love her color choices. Yes, it's, it's gorgeous. Um, but it's but gorgeous. Beth, isn't, isn't it the case that the um, editor gets to pick the illustrator? Well, mostly. So be, because, um, so Anna and I have the same agent. And so because ah, okay. yeah, we were, I was trying, we finally said, let's send it with some art. And so I had worked with Anna on a book called Squirrel's Family Tree. And so, and I'm just a huge fan of her in general. So I said, oh, what about Anna? And so she did some sketches. And so we sold it with the art. So that's one of wow. the very rare exceptions where you can. Yes, can. Well, you, we should shout out to aspiring writers, do not do this. If you, do not do this. if you haven't published 30 books already. Exactly. But, right. but, 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 but Beth, you have. So you have a lot of clout <laughs> right. in the industry. And I met you because I was um, in the audience on the edge of my chair listening to a wonderful presentation you gave at SCBWI. Was so that last year? It was uh, about four months ago. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Oh yeah. That was all virtual. I hate the virtual stuff because you don't see anybody's faces. Yeah, but I saw your face and, okay. and it, it enables people from Israel and Singapore and all these, you know, far flung places True. in the world. No, and, that's a good point. And, and as I told you, I'm giving an SBWI presentation next month and my American friends for the first time can see me peeing right. in my pants, but they won't, you know, <laughs> while won't. I do, I'm, I'm probably going to wear a diaper for the first time. You know what I think? It's really interesting. I when I speak in person, I am very nervous. I I 
I, I'm like, oh my God, you know, because everyone, there is that, there's the tension in the room, you know, you feel mm-hmm. like there's this expectation and you can feel it where when you do it on Zoom, I don't like it because it feels very cold to me. I don't see anyone's reactions. You can't feed off, you know, the emotion in the room, but that also then takes away the fear. So you're not, so, you know, it's really, you know, it's easier to do because, you're not, I'm not as afraid, but you don't, you don't feed off, especially if it's a positive response, you don't get to feed on any of that positive energy, which is a shame. Yeah. And we are on zoom and I feel like I'm in your study. Yes, I agree. And um, I can't wait to meet you in person, but let's, let's go back to the beginning because you are one of a gazillion writers Mm -hmm. who actually is a traditionally published author. And not only that, You've published dozens of books and um, share that magnificence. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So my story is. um, Start at the beginning. I was born. Yeah. I was born a long time ago in New Jersey. (laughs) And I grew up by the beach in New Jersey, which is where I still live because I wanted my children to have the childhood that I had, which was being able to ride your bike to the beach because I felt that I had the perfect childhood because I spent it on the beach and I wanted my kids to have that. So um, I married my high school sweetheart and we've been, we'll be married 30 years and he's still the best person. Thank you. Um, So, yeah. So basically I was a reader. I didn't really, I, I didn't really, it's not that I didn't want to be a writer. I just never thought about it. What I wanted to be was a reader. Like, where's that job, right? Like, ex- <laughs> you know, an editor. But yeah, I just wanted to read. It's all I did. Like, I didn't do sports. I didn't, I didn't do anything but read books. So when I went to college, I was like, oh, wait, I can be an English major, like literature and just read. Okay. So that's what I did. And then when I graduated college, <laughs> It was the summer and I was planning on going to the beach all summer. And my mom was like, "Uh, you know, now you have to get a job. (laughs) And I'm I'm not kidding. I was like, well, yeah, in September, I get the summer off, don't I? And she was like, no, now that's over. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do and think I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't study to be a teacher. So I went back to college and worked at a college because I loved college so much. Um, And then I got married and had kids and I stayed home with my kids for, you know, a very long time. And then fast forward till now they're all, you know, teenagers. And all of a sudden I'm like, my gosh, like, what am I going to do now? Like now I'm done volunteering. You know, I was like every volunteer position. And I said, oh, I, and you know, I think like most. Every volunteer position, except the Hadassah women. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe maybe if there's an Italian equivalent of Hadassah women. Maybe, I don't know if there is. Housewife, it's a horrible word. Well, what Um, what kind of uh, volunteering did you do? I was the president of the PTA, which is like the parent teacher group. There you go. I did. Yeah, I did everything. I felt really grateful that, you know, again, I had healthy, happy kids. How lucky am I? And so I, that's what I did. Um, but then when they grew up, I kind of was like, I rediscovered picture books like most, and I'm going to say moms, maybe dads too, but most moms rediscover picture books when they are putting their children to bed. And the delight, I really feel like, you know, when you read a picture book that's done right, And as an adult, I can feel the things that I feel. And I I just really, I I read, like, I think as a child, you know, 
you're not, you're feeling different feelings. You know, you're laughing, you're, you're, you're experiencing the one-on-one with your parent. But as an adult, I was like, these are magic. This is magic. And I wanted to make that magic. And so that's, I thought, you know what, I've, I've always dabbled poetry, you know, I've always written because I was a reader, but I thought, oh, let me try. So I started to write. This is 2009. And Then I went to my first SCBWI in 2009 in New Jersey and Mm -hmm. so sure that I had written like the best story ever. And it was not. And I went. Hold on. Hold on. Let's let's give a shout out to SCBWI, the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, that on one hand is a very frustrating society (laughs) because when you join it, you're like a nothing and a newbie and nobody. Yes. Uh, but this is the best way to grow as a writer. It, it, what it does is, right, it doesn't matter what you think you know. It doesn't. You know, when you can be an English major and a great writer, but that doesn't mean that you know what the components of a children's book need to be. And so, and it does, it also gives you, because the problem with writers, I think, is, you know, you share your story with other non-published writers or your family, and you're getting all this great feedback. And you're like, oh, I'm great, but you're not. And so when you go there and you get to have, you know, a one-on-one with an agent or an editor or even another author, and you get that reality check, it's so healthy, right? It's such a healthy, because the problem with writers is that there is no degree required. Anyone can do it. And because anyone can do it, everyone thinks that they can do it. And so there, there is no reality check until you go to an event like this, because it's really, there's really no other place to go. Like, that's the other thing. There's really, it's very hard to find, you know, without paying, I mean, and you pay for SCBWI, but I guess you could find. But, 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 but these are, these are words that uh, every aspiring writer should yeah. hang up on his wall. Yeah. And, and, and so I think that there, there's two kinds of early participants in SCBWI, the kinds that don't realize that it can be done. Right, right. Oh, maybe. And the ones that come away and say, oh, I'm still a great writer. Nobody, you know, I'm just I'm just not lucky. Right. Um, I'm not a cousin of the publisher um, and, and, and never take the, the never look in the mirror as I certainly did when I when I went to my first meeting, and say, "Oh, sh- can I say shit?" I just, well, it's my my channel. Oh shit! Sorry, Marshall. Um, I'm really a terrible writer. I have to take courses. I have no. to go and attend Beth's seminar. No, I have to I, learn no, about in- page turns and well. And- yeah, it's very interesting too because I think that you can be a great writer, but that doesn't mean that you can understand the components of a picture book because it's not writing. I mean, it's writing, but it's not. It's the opposite. There's no adjectives. There's no adverbs. You know, you're leaving so much to the art. And I think that's the problem. You can be a great prose writer and you can, you know, maybe translate that into if you had the, you know, time to write a novel, but understanding how you have to leave room for the illustrator and what the pictures do have to tell part of the story. That's what you have to learn, you know, because there's so, I'm sure you've read a lot of people's writing and you're like, Oh my God, why are you telling me all these details? That's what you have to understand. And I think that's one of the big learning curves in picture books is the minimalism. It's you're really, it's the opposite of what you do in college. It's the opposite of really how you're taught to write in any formal setting, because you're taught to, you know, make the reader see what you see, mm-hmm. but that's not what you're doing in a picture book. So, and 
the big you're, word. You're, you're so right. It, it, when you're writing prose or for newspapers, you're getting paid by the word. Right. Yeah. In picture books, you're getting paid by the words you leave out. It's so true. And I think that's so hard. It's so hard to to tell a fully developed, satisfying story in 500 words. Like, how hard is that? Um, But the other thing I wanted to say about, you know, trying is um, subjectivity. I think subjectivity is is like the big, you know, bold word in in attempting to get published because it doesn't mean that it's not good, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's just subjective. So, you know, what, what's one, pr- I mean, if I said to you, what are your favorite five picture books? I bet we would not have the same five picture books on our list. And I think that's true of everyone. Um, no one has the same favorites. We, we all have different favorites because it's all subjective. Um, I do a lot of work with Tom Lichtenheld, who did my illustrations for Stick and Stone. And whenever we go to a bookstore together, we always will like pick up a book and he'll be like, I love this. And I'll be like, I hate it. And he's looking at the art and I'm looking at the words because he's an artist and I'm a writer. And so even, even that, like, are you love what, why do you love it? Do you love it for the message? Do you love it for the writing? Do you love it for the pictures? Do you love it for the, like, there's so many reasons to love it. And each reason is subjective. So, so, yeah, so Harold Underdown, my hero, okay. uh, talks a lot about reader response. Okay. And um, this is for new aspiring authors, never go to a bookstore with an illustrator. <laughs> no, it's so true. Because they're, <laughs> They're looking for the little mouse in the corner, the joke right. that oh the God. illustrator planted, and we're looking at the words. It's And that was a really big eye-opener, because I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, look at that spread of whatever. And I was like, no, no, look at that sentence. So yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> so what, what the, how did, how did your, yeah, so this is the thing, and I, I agree with you. Um, you have to assume that you're not the best writer you can be at any stage of your career. True. And that luck is only a part of it. Right. And you can write a wonderful manuscript that's not commercial or that doesn't get seen. Um, and you never know when you do not get the yes. Right. But there's always room to make something better. I totally agree. So, so how did you, how did the magic happen? How did you find an agent? How did you? Yeah. So basically for me, I went to SCBWI with, um, I think a 900 word rhyming poem about a pirate. And I remember the editor, whoever I met with said, oh, you know, does it have to rhyme? And I was like, uh, yes, it does have to rhyme, obviously, because then I think I was only writing rhyme to make a long story short. I went for two years and then in 2011, and every time I would go, I was so scared. Like I was so scared. And it's really funny. Cause you know, you think I'm a grown person, but I think it's, you know, why am I, what am I scared of? But I was, I was scared because you know what I think? I think that you are, you're dancing around your dream and, and you know, Oh, wow. Wow. That's so true. Oh, right. And I think it's this, that's the scariest. I'm, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. like, that's that, like a wow moment. Yeah. You're scared because you're dancing around your dream. Right. Right. And it's wow. true. Right. I think that's what you go there and, you know, for, for you're actually like, you know, it could happen here. 
It's not going to happen in your living room, right? It's not going to happen at the bookstore. It's it's, but it could happen at SCBWI. You've heard success stories, and so I do. I think that that you know, it's like you're scared because you know, what if, like the, what if, like, what if it does happen? So, you know, and for most people, it doesn't happen. You know, most people go home and, you know, they're glad they met some fellow writers. Um, I would always leave at lunchtime because I'm like, I don't want to sit at a big table and have to tell about myself. And so I would like leave. I wouldn't go to the big lunches. Like, how sad is that? Um, so I was going in 2011, um, and I had sent whatever story in and then one day I said, you know what? I'm not treating this like a job. Now, meanwhile, right. I'm staying home. I'm not, I don't have a full-time job and what a luxury that is. And I said, I I have to treat this like a job. I have to give myself like, you know, homework. So I said, okay, Beth, you're going to write a book under 200 words about a universal theme. Yeah. And then there I sat, I was like, okay, what's that going to be about? And I'm like, okay, let me pick a universal theme, friendship, you know, and think about all the universal themes, you know, there's all, I mean, there's lots, but there's really only, you know, for kids, 10, maybe universal themes. So friendship being one of them, because, you know, there's no friendship books written, haha, right? There's 5 million. So anyway, I heard a song on the radio that there was a line that, you know, like you think things that stop you. And the line was, can you imagine your best friend sticking up for you? I was driving my kids somewhere and I heard that song and I thought that that line, and I was like, can you imagine your best friend sticking up for you? And it's, it really is so silly because it stopped me. Cause, and you know, also I think my, my kids were teenage ish and friends are hard and friends are mean. And, you know, like, it's really just, I I mean, you have kids, I'm sure like everyone has that experience where, you know, you want to call that friend up and say, why aren't you nice? Why are you doing this? So I, it made me think like everyone should have a best friend that sticks up for them. And then I thought about the word stick and stick as a homonym. And I thought sticks and stones can break your bones. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to write that. I'm going to write a stick and stone who become friends. So I went home and I was like, okay, so have- stick and stone is your first book. My first book. Wow. Okay. So, um, and then, and then I started to write it in prose and I'm writing and I'm writing these long and I'm like 200 words. I gave myself this I d- and I couldn't do it. And then I said, okay, I'm going to try it in rhyme. And, and, you know, you hear all the time, don't write in rhyme, you know, editors don't like it. Nobody likes it. So I, but I did. And I, and as I was writing it, I'm like, and I, and I, it's 135 words. And when I was done, I'm like, I think I, I think I have something. I think this might be good. So I brought it to SCBWI. You know how you have to send it in advance, but if, if you meet with someone who's nice enough, they'll read it. So I met with um, Steve Metzger from Penguin Random House and he read it and he's like, I love this. He's like, I'm going to take it to acquisitions. I don't even know what acquisitions is at the point. I'm not joking. <laughs> I had to like, I ran home and I was like, what is acquisitions? So basically he called me, I don't know, a few weeks later. And he said, now I've left SCEBWI now, like dancing my dream, right? I'm dancing now. I'm like, oh my God, he's taking it to acquisitions. And he called me and he said, I took it to acquisitions and they cannot see the art. They don't understand, they can't understand how it will be illustrated, but I think it's still good enough. You should go get an agent. Right. Thank you. And only people who understand publishing understand that. Like go get an agent means like uh, go climb Mount Everest. I don't know. I was like, okay. Go back to base camp. Go back to base camp. Right. So, but I thought, okay, at least I have something that an editor has liked. And I started to do my, you know, back then you actually, do we mail it back then? 
No, I think I, this is 2011. So I guess I was attaching it. Yeah. So we were doing, because when I first started, we were actually mailing, we would mail your submission in. How crazy is that? You'd get a little sticker from SCBWI to put on the envelope so that the editor would open it, knowing that you went to the SCBWI event. And then I guess just within those two years, it became, um, you know, an attachment to the email. So I, I emailed, um, Lots and lots and lots of editors and no agents, agents, I'm wrong, agents. And my, my current agent, Elena, um, she emailed me back, I guess the day I sent it. So I, you know, I sent it in, I'm going to say the summer of 2011. And she said, I really like the story. You know, would you give us a, um, um, no, what's the word? An exclusive. And I was like, okay, sure. Like, okay. And so basically, you know, they said they would try to sell it. And so they did. I think I, I, I wrote it in April. I got my agent in October, maybe of 2011. And we sold it in December of 2011. And then it does, it changes your life. And, and what changed my life mainly was my illustrator. So when they told me, I signed my contract, you know, in 2012, when they told me who the illustrator was, they said, oh, but he's really busy. So the book won't come out until 2015. It's 2011. Now I guess it's 2012. And I'm like, three years. That's the other thing that you kind of don't know, like how long it takes, but that changed my life. And, you know, because I have worked with him, he is, you know, he's like a very good friend now. And I'm so grateful because the editor just picked him. I don't know. You know what I mean? And that's such a gift. It's such a gift, like where your relationships. And now, you know, he and I collaborate and, you know, we talk and it's, and he has such a great, it's such a learning experience for me to hear his perspective on books and, and, you know, how they should end and, and just the, I've learned so much. And, you know, I, I really, and when I tell you I'm grateful every day, I'm not even kidding. I'm grateful for my journey every day. What's that? You didn't mention his name though. Oh, Tom Lichtenheld. Oh, I'm so sorry. Tom. Oh, you did. You mentioned it oh, but, but 20 before. minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. So but. he, yeah, it's just, you know, and I think some people, mostly I've never met my illustrators. Um, but I met him at an event and then we, we have another book called 10 rules of the birthday wish that we went on tour. And, you know, when you go on tour, (laughs) it sounds so great, but it's so much work. And so to be under such a stressful situation, you know, you're flying every single night, you're eating in the airport, you know, so to have that experience, you know, and we just, we were compatible, you know, and we just had a lot of fun. So. And uh, a sentence or two about Fox and the rabbit. All right. So Fox- I, 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 um, I, I must say uh, that I've, I've written a manuscript with a For fox a and a rabbit, but oh, they certainly they aren't friends. Okay. And <laughs> so I, I can use yours as a comp, but <laughs> nobody's going to say you copied from Beth. No, no. <laughs> you know, right. The children's book have to have happy endings mainly, right? <laughs> There's no eating. No nibbling for foxes and rabbits. <laughs> Remind me to send you this. It's on sub. I'll send you the manuscript. Okay, awesome. Oh, you, you can you can choose not to eat me at the end. <laughs> oh my god! Well, I mean, there are there definitely are some books that have those you know interesting eating endings. Like I want my hat back, right? <laughs> I, you you took the hat out of my mouth. <laughs> and if we were talking about five recent books that you love, hmm. I'm guessing that might be one of them. I do love that book. I love that book. And I love, yeah, it's funny what you love. Like, I love a book called There Might Be Lobsters. Do you know that book? 
There might no. be monsters. Oh my God. I love, and again, I like the art, but I love the rhythm of the writing. Beth, send me anything and I will, I will chase down the authors. To okay. Illustrate, yeah. To, to, not to illustrate, to interview them. Yeah. Cause yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. And again, I, I read, I try to read because that's the other thing too, right? Mm -hmm. Reading everything that's being published. It's really important to see because as much as you can't write to a trend, I don't think you can write to a trend because the trend is over by the time, you know, <laughs> you, you either create the trend. Exactly. Or you're or, in the wake, the wake mm -hmm. of the trend. The wake of the trend. Um, so, you know, why do you write what you write? It's such a great question. Like, why? Like, why? What sparks your imagination that you're like, oh, this is the idea that I'm going to pursue. And most, I mean, I think mo most of the time, like Stick and Stone was a very clear but most of the other stories, I couldn't even tell you. I don't know why. I just, a word sticks in my brain. And I think like, oh, I wonder if there's a story there. But, you know, it's not like there's such I, a- I'm, I'm giving a talk on that in a month. Oh, you are. Interesting, right? Like you how know, I, I, I was at your talk. Mm. I'm going to invite you to my talk. Oh, good. I'd love to. I could just say a few words about it. The reason that you can't talk about it is becomes, it's from one of your minds- Mm. You know, Jill Bolte-Taylor talks about four minds. Mm. So we're always thinking in, in mind number one, the rational mind. But the, the mind that comes up with the idea for the story is mind number three. Okay. That's, that's our silly little childish mind. That's interesting. And that mind doesn't go to lectures. It doesn't read books. It just plays. And it just plays and has fun. And the people that come up with the ideas are the people who either practice invoking their mind number three, bringing it into the conversation. Or that are people like me who are always five years old. Uh, I can't, I, and um, I shouldn't talk about me because I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not anything near a. Um, no, the, please. The place, no, the place I want to be, but th this is, this is where ideas come from. And that's why it's so hard to, I once had an invention and I said, well, if I could, if I could figure out where this happens, <laughs> I could have one every day. Right. But, but you, but you can't because it's an interplay of part of your mind that uh, just comes out to play when it feels like it. <laughs> right. It's not, and it's one of the reasons I think that you know when you write, you're not you're not sitting down at nine o'clock in the morning. The only time I sit down to write is when I'm revising. I never sit down to write and get an idea. I always get an idea wherever. And then you're like, oh my God, don't, don't forget this idea. But you know, the only time that, you know, cause I do, I try to write every day, but it's mainly revision because that's where all the writing is done, you know? And I revise my stories on an average 60 times. I have 60 revisions. That, that, that's the number. Yeah. 60. 60 is the number. If it's it a lot. You know, for people oh. who aren't prepared to revise a manuscript 60 times. 60 times, right. It's not find, find something else to do. <laughs> 167 times this book before I was done. 167. And it's my most. But it's also that, you know, I do believe in don't give up on your own stuff. You know, you can it's it's easy. And I do. I put a lot of things away and I'm like, I'll come back to you. I like you, but I know, you know, you're not you're not it. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah. You, you say that you publish 20 out of a hundred. That's, that's humongous. I'm like almost one out of a hundred. Yeah. Uh, and most people are zero out of a hundred. Yeah. It's, it's and, very, interesting. and very, very often it's like a combination lock, isn't it? Um, you have to have everything. If, if the ending isn't right, it's not right. And, and what you said about the editors, I think the editors, they're, 
their divine gift is telling us, and this happened to me twice in the last two years, you know, the ending isn't, there's something about the ending and they don't have to tell you what it is about the ending. You know, you go home and you say, oh, why didn't she like the ending? Why didn't he like the ending? And then either it dawns on you or not, but the editor's job isn't is to draw, to draw you. Yeah, to push you. I think, I think, I think when you have your ending, when you're writing a story and you have your ending, it that's the biggest gift. You're like, oh my God, I have my ending. So anything else, because I, I think that I think that one of the ironies is that you have to catch your editor agent, someone's attention with the beginning. But the only thing that truly matters is the ending because that's what you're left with. And so when there's a satisfying ending and you're feeling good about the ending, you know, I think, but, but, you know, you have to get that person to the ending. So that means you have to make the beginning really good. So I'm always like, if I say the most important part of a book to me is the ending. And yet you have to make it's so, it's just so frustrating. So yeah, you're right. It has to all be good, which is hard. <laughs> yeah, right? If you're breaking in, it all has to be uh, utter, utterly terrific. It all, yeah. And I do. And this is my other, you know, piece of wisdom and I could be wrong about it, but I think that your first book almost has to be better than all your other books. Cause that's what gets you there. So your first book might really be your, like for me, my first book's my best book and all the other books are, you know, they're good and some are better than others, but you know, because that's your, 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 you know, you're breaking into this very competitive world and it's really hard to do. And you, you, you have zero reputation. And it's luck. I do think it's luck. It's the right person, you know, because editors and agents are people and they're busy and they have their own worries. So, you know, to find that right person at the right time who can see the potential in your book, um, that's partly luck because it's, it's de- there's luck in there too. I mean, you know, there's definitely possibly skill, but there's a lot of luck. Okay. So here's the thing. I, I'm going to now use the analogy of your story with the, um, with the little uh, farm and then and, and, uh, oh, the nibbling. Yeah, the Derwood, yeah, Derwith, Derwith, deer. Derwood, Derwood the goat. Derwood the goat, <laughs> who was Derwood the deer. Derwood deer. I I I love this, and um, you know, you 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 um, you don't know as a seed where you're going to get thrown. Mm-hmm. But you have to be you have to be a good seed. You have to be ready to grow. To grow. And um. Yeah, good. That's nice. I think that, and I, this is what I teach my students, you know, we are like, you know, one egg and one sperm out of, you know, zillions and trillions. And that's us. Right. Each of us. I know. So, you know, we're, we're, we're born lucky. It's crazy. Yeah. That and, we're even born. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you go through life and, um, but you have to, first of all, identify when you get lucky. And if somebody says to you, uh, do you have a story about a deer <laughs> and you reach into your satchel and say, I just happened to have one. Yes, too. <laughs> that never happens, but okay. <laughs> but, it, but if it should. Yeah. Um, so uh, this has been terrific. I have several more questions um, because I have to ask you about the five-year-old Beth. Uh, mm-hmm. I have this pet theory that um, writers like you who write for five-year-olds um, are five-year-olds. Mm, that's interesting. I don't think that's, I don't think I am a five-year-old. I think. I'll let you be a six-year-old. 
maybe I think I have to be at the age of that I was reading and I don't know what age I was reading, but I really think that's like my defining characteristic. I don't think I would be a writer if I wasn't a reader. And I think that, you know, books, you know, save you at very many different, sometimes there's just a piece of wisdom in a book that mm-hmm. is exactly what you need. Sometimes you just need to be distracted from your life. And so I do, I think that, you know, there are so many books for a mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. because, you know, they, you need certain ones at certain times. And but, but, but Beth, you're ruining my theory, you see. Uh, I am. I'm sorry. I don't believe that. I'm not a five-year-old. I'm definitely not a five-year-old. I, I write, I write for kids because I want them to love to read. That's all. I want them to read a book and like it so much that they want to read another book. But why a five or six year old? You could be writing. Uh, you, you could avoid all the angst that we talked about and be writing be, and be writing for adults. Yeah, because by the time you're an adult, you're already either a reader or not a reader. I guess I just I I love the idea of, you know. I don't know, speaking to the youngest kids who might not think they love to read and and start to love to read. You know, and again, every not everybody does. Like I had three kids and two loved to read and one didn't. And I was like, what have I done wrong? But no, no, really, I think it's like anything, right? You want to pass on what you love. And I love, I want to pass on my love of reading. And the way that I'm doing that is by being a writer. So so listen, if I have to be wrong with anybody, I want to be wrong with you. Okay. <laughs> uh, th- this has been a wonderful. The, 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 what's bothering me now is, uh, so we didn't talk about your favorite books when you were, your favorite picture books when you were a five-year-old. Ugh. Well, I, that's so hard. I feel like um, I don't really have a great answer. I loved Maurice Sendak's Little Nutshell Library. Um, so not where the wild things were. I, that was not even on my radar, but the, the, you know, the uh, chicken soup with rice, do you know, yeah. those, yes, little, yes, yes, yes. those, but I didn't love, I, I loved them because they were tiny. The, they, if you, I, I wish I had it, which I don't from my childhood, but they were this big and there was three or four of them and they fit in a little cardboard box. And I thought that was like the best thing I could own. And I loved, it was a tiny book. It was like, you know, and I, so I loved that. And I loved a story called, oh my God, is it Miss Susie's Treehouse? I couldn't even tell, you know, again, I'm, I, I was born in the late sixties. So they, there weren't as many children's books, but it also had to do with a squirrel who lived in a tree in a house and everything was tiny. And I think when I was young, I just loved everything to be tiny. So anything that was tiny, I loved. So even my books. <laughs> so that, that's all I can remember right now. Isn't that sad? And finally. Yes. Oh my gosh. What haven't I asked you? Uh, what ha- um, oh my gosh. Some advice that we haven't talked about. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm assuming, are most people who are watching this uh, aspiring writers? We have we have several audiences. We're on Facebook Live right now, and it stays on Facebook, and then it goes to YouTube, where okay. maybe six people see it. Right. Then it goes to NBN as a podcast. Okay. And um, So mainly aspiring writers? What do you could, think? Could be thousands of people. But aspiring we, I, writers? I, I've had podcasts with six, 7,000 downloaders wow. yeah, in that's three, three months. And I really don't know, you know, they should write to me. Yeah, to tell you who they are and why they're listening. 
It'd yeah, be hey, hey, if you're yeah. listening to this now on NBN, please write to me and right. let me know who you are, why you are, and, why and you're listening. who knows, you may be the winner of um, <laughs> one of my books, if they ever come out. <laughs> well, they will. Of course they will. I think that, you know what, I, I love that your story is, you know, it's always, you've done all these careers and, and you know, I think there's a lot of young people who write children's books, but I also think there's a lot of older people too, who, you know, when you see the map of your life and you think, what are my achievements? And I think that writing a book is, is such an achievement and, and, you know, a lot, a dream for a lot of people, even if they're teachers or scientists or, you know, I don't know, people who mow the lawn, right? I think that, that there's something really wonderful about publishing a book. And so, yeah, I think that it, it's never too late for that dream. And that's kind of cool um, that, you know, you don't have to go, you know, you can really, could I go be a doctor now? I'd have to go to medical school. I'd have to like not sleep, which is my favorite thing. And you, you'd have to find patients. <laughs> I'd have to find patients, right? So I, I do, I, I wonder, I think it's, so that's like kind of, um, a great thing for people to know that it, it's never too late to start and learn. And the learning curve, I don't think is ginormous. I, I think it's more than just reading what's being published, which I think a lot of people also do not do. You know, don't go to your library. You can go to the library, but go to the bookstore because this is what's brand new. And, you know, these are, you have to look at word count and you have to look at, you know, what is the arc? What's the subject? Is it, you know, friendship? What is it? Is it, you know, culture, you know, now, and now we're in this great time of like wonderfully diverse books and there's so many new and interesting topics, you know, being published. Um, but yeah, you have to, you have to kind of know that, but it's never too late to achieve that dream. And I think mm -hmm. that's maybe good advice. I, I've interviewed about 50 writers and um, none of them, I don't find that any of them are derivative. In other words, mm. it, so yes, it's very good to read others and, and to riff off of other people's that's okay. We all do that. But at the end of the day, you're judged on the originality of what you are able to to do right. yourself. But funnily enough, I agree with you, uh, that originality is always based on other stories. Well, right. Think about it. Like every theme that there's never, you know, they always say like every book has been written. It just has, but not in the specific way. You know, there's all, you know, that when you, when you look at um, novel writing, you know, there's a book that tells you, you know, the eight plots, there's only like eight plots. And then they're just done in very different ways, but it's the same, you know, like, you know, achieving the dream, the hero's journey, all those, you know, the love interest, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, how you're going to do it. Exactly. Right? I mean, I wrote a friendship book when there's been 5 million friendship books already written, but I still could do it in a new way. So, yeah. so, so the trick is um, if people say, um, you, know, we, you talked about poetry. Hmm. Um, it's, it's good to write in, in, in poetry, in rhyme, if you know how to do it. And most people don't no. know how to do it. No. And I also so, think, yeah, for the younger reader too, you know, like I've had, you know, like little ones, like their parents will say like, oh, my three-year-old has stick and stone memorized. So he thinks he can read it. 
Like how dreamy is that? You know, but because it rhymes, it's easy to memorize. So I think for the younger readers, rhyme is so important because, you know, it helps them develop reading skills, you know, pre-reading skills that they then know they're saying the word, but then they see it on the page. Um, but even, you know, No Nibbling to Me is such like not a young book because of the puns, you know, but normally I don't get to speak to fifth graders or fourth graders because- mm-hmm. I'm a picture book author, so I speak to the youngest. So what age group do you see reading this book? Right, exactly. I don't know. Vegetable lovers? Um, I actually do think... No, the, the, the age, the age, because yeah, no, I, the, I, read the, it as a, I read it as a five-year-old and loved it. Say, well, that's, but you, I don't know. Can you really read it as a five-year-old? Do I think the Beth, five- I, I am a five-year-old. <laughs> okay. Um, You're talking to a five-year-old who just... You know, I, I spent 65 years being five years old. Doing something all. else. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I would love to share this with the older kids who could get the puns, but I'll probably share it with like first and second graders who maybe I'll have to explain the pun to. Um, and I think that that sometimes is, you know, you, you like even ones that are really long, you know, you're, you're reading to like when you, when I get a lot of times I get invited to preschool. And I'm like, I can't read anything but stick and stone because I can't hold their attention for that long. So it's, I find it to be really interesting because, you know, they're not on your lap. You know, I think when you have a child on your lap, you have a lot more, you know, time and, you know, you can explain things when you're reading to kids in a school, you know, you lose their attention like that, you know? So I, I, that also is one of the skills that I've learned. And it'll be my last piece of advice is never forget that you're not reading one-on-one with a child. So as much as you might be writing for a book that is an, a bedtime book or you know a book that a parent is sharing with a child one-on-one, when you're sharing it, you're sharing it either in an auditorium or at a library or in a classroom and you have lots of little kids. So that always is in my mind. Like when I'm reading this book, am I holding their attention? Like, can I hold their attention for the length of this book? And that's always a factor when I'm writing. When you're writing. When I'm writing, that's revising, very, not really writing, revising. No, but that, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so Beth Ferry, yes. um, tomorrow you're going to have your, I don't know, 30th book or something. Yeah. I mean, who's counting? <laughs> who's counting? <laughs> and who's nibbling? So and who's um, I, I, I love this book. Uh, and I'm going to venture to say that it's just as good for five-year-olds as it is for eight-year-olds. Okay, good. And it's hilarious and funny and endearing. And there is that message at the end, um, which is very helpful. Good. Uh, and um, it's twisty and fun. Yeah, it's and, fun. Uh, and, uh, and you're just as much fun. It was so great having you on the uh, podcast. You. I had a great time. And, uh, and we'll, continue, uh, we'll continue offline. Okay. Um, and it's just been splendid. Uh, I agree. I don't want to let you go, but it's been an hour. <laughs> well, thanks I, to everyone who's listened for an hour. <laughs> oh, they, no, they haven't. Some left us a few minutes ago. <laughs> we could talk now, just, you and, just okay. you and me now. Okay, good. No, but the, the hardcore are listening. So, so uh, this is Mel Rosenberg for NBN Children's Literature Channel. Uh, and our wonderful guest today has been Beth Ferry. And tomorrow, your homework, Beth, Okay. because I am a professor, is yes. to go into a Barnes & Noble and say, <clears throat> I, wrote this I wrote this book. Come have a look at the book I just wrote. Okay. Come on, be Italian tomorrow. <laughs> you deserve it. Thank you.
Thanks, Thank Beth. you. Take care. Bye.